Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Skielski. And today, we have the one and only, the CRO over at Pearsoft. His name is William Louie. Nick, why should people listen? Well, we talked about a couple things that I really like. One, getting power involved in deals and keeping them involved so you don't get just kicked down to all of the directors. We also talked about why you might want to occasionally pitch on discovery calls. And then one of my favorite topics, which is best practices for demos. That's what we got. Three, two, one, pitch you a sponsor. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Will, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Awesome. Actionable takeaway number one, build a war board. What I always say to reps is you need to have a plan and you need to be able to walk your plan all the way back. So 
be really tactical. List out every opportunity that you're trying to close for the month, for the quarter, whatever your sales cycle is. Have every op, work it back from contract signature. So if this is how you get contract signature, what is literally the actual step that happens before that? And then before that, then before that, then before that. And write that down, put it in front of you and check it off as you go. So this should be something that you're seeing every day, marking off every day. It's actually a board that you're working down every day. Beautiful. What's number two, Will? Actionable takeaway number two for me is configure rather than customize your demos. I think a lot of people get really caught up in making the most customized demo possible. Let me personalize it. Let me get their materials in there. Let me build exactly how they're doing things today. What I always say is it's easier to edit rather than create. So rather than rebuilding exactly how they're doing something in your demo environment, actually provide examples of use cases. So you demonstrate a feature, provide a use case or example of how another client has used it. A really great follow-up I like to do after that is send them the case study. So you're building, you're demoing these specific features. Following that, go, hey, here's a case study of the example that I just provided. So you anchor your follow-ups directly to what you're actually showing in the demo. So work it backwards. You're going to notice a theme of me working things backwards. Uh, I'm going to steal that. All right, round us out. What's number three? Tell them what you just told them. Again, work it backwards, right? Uh, most demos, at least in the SaaS world where I'm from, is 30 to 60 minutes. If you're great, you maybe cut it down to 22, but most of them are about 60 minutes. By the time you get to the end, they're not going to remember what they saw in the beginning. And you trying to reiterate that and remind them doesn't save in their brain. So take opportunities and recap multiple times throughout your demo. So you showed a feature. That's exactly the time to tell them what you just told them. So you show them the feature and you pause right there and you go, Nick, this is why I just showed you. And it feels like you're repeating yourself because you are. And that's absolutely what you want to do. And that's how you reinforce throughout the demo. So break your demo up into parts, pick your spot and reiterate exactly what you, you just showed them. Usually you want to tie that to your aha moment. So the parts that they get most excited about, that's where you pause. That's your, where you reiterate. If you're doing this really well, you tie it back to my actionable um, actionable item number two, and that's where you tie in your use cases as well. All righty, Will. So walking it backwards to one of your earlier tips. I wake up in the morning, I eat my oatmeal, and I say, shoot, I got to jump on an 8 a.m. demo. And I'm like, okay, where am I going to start in my demo? Some people say, start with the end product and then work your way backwards to permissions. Others say, sort of build up to this big aha moment. Do you have any magic behind what order of features I demo in? I personally think demoing to the aha moment is the best way to do it. It has to be a logical progression though. So I'm very much a day in the life to the aha moment demoer. That's where, that's where I found the most success. So you start with where they start their day at, and ultimately it is leading to that aha moment. Can you tell me a little bit about this aha moment? Because you've used that term a couple of times and like, I sometimes have aha moments in my demos and it's usually when I screw something up and I'm like, aha, I'm not going to click that button again. But I think you probably have something different in mind. So aha moments to me are, I'm actually stealing it from like a product expression. So there's this thing on the product side called the magic moment. It's the moment that it clicks for the prospect. The trick here is, what you as a sales rep think is cool is almost never what the actual prospect thinks is cool. One of the things that I do 
is I ask as part of my onboarding schedule, I actually have my reps ride shotgun on the client services implementation. That is really the trick to finding that aha moment because it's the part that you're going through the implementation and they get really, really excited about. And as a salesperson, that's the part you want to drill into during your demos because they're now in implementation. They're seeing how they're going to use the tools and that's when you want to get excited. So it's the unlock and it's usually going to be whatever the core value proposition is as a customer. That's what you actually want to drive to on your demo. That aha moment, my guess is it varies depending on what you've figured out in the discovery. And the worst demos are the ones where it's like, all right, I tore through you for 60 minutes in discovery, and then I show you the exact same demo I show everyone else. And so I'm curious, how are you pulling in what you've learned or elements in discovery into that demo so it's a seamless transition? I'm going to tell like a dirty little secret here. Every customer thinks that they're unique. And that is not true at all. Everyone thinks that their business is so unique, so special. The way they do it, they're the only one that does it. Depends, varies by product, varies by industry, but there's going to be a handful of use cases over and over and over again. Ultimately, what I try to train my reps to do on their discovery is find that use case. So if we have five core use cases, if we have six core use cases, whatever it is, you're going to actually try to identify that use case on that discovery. And that's what you're demoing to. Can you talk about like how you're actually structuring and running a discovery call so that you can get to where you can show a good demo? I start my discovery calls all exactly the same way. So I'll probably go like, hey, Armand, thank you so much for taking the time. I have a couple of things I want to cover with you today but I wanna make sure that this is valuable to you. Is there anything specifically you want me to cover today? And usually they'll dump on you. They will go and they will outline a ton of different things to you. You should have a thesis leading into your discovery call. So it's gotta be one of these three different pain points. Now, if you haven't done your homework, then it's gonna fail, but your pain points should lead to specific value propositions, should lead to specific features, right? So this one is I'm actually working it downstream instead of working it backwards. So once I get to a specific pain point, that leads me to the value proposition I know that I want to emphasize over and over again. That leads me to the features. This specific group of features tied to that value prop should already have a demo and a use case behind it, right? So that pain point, whichever pain point that they ultimately identify, that should automatically already tie to a demo, a use case that I'm going to demo. If that pain point doesn't tie to something on your tool already, why are you talking to this prospect? What a lot of salespeople are really scared to do is be very emphatic and be like, no, we don't do that. No, like that's not what we do. No, that's not a good idea. No, that's not a great use case for us. Like hit your nose quickly so that you can move on to the things that actually tie The longer you spend talking about something, the more important it builds in their head. And sometimes it's a, I call it a porcupine question. They throw it at you and you want to throw it right back at them and you don't even care, right? And you get a lot, especially on discoveries and demos, that guy that will ask questions just to ask questions. They want to be smarter than you on the call. Let them be smarter than you. It's great. Like, no, we don't do that. Move on to the next thing. Drive towards your use cases. How do I avoid that situation where someone's, peppering me with questions. This happens a lot 
going back to a demo, is some people will try to get you in every nitty gritty area and you lose track of the vision. Is there something you're doing to bring it back up to the big picture or get the question behind the question or like dissolve that tension? This is more of like a psychological trick that I like to do on calls. I'll frame it on like how I do it with demos first, and then I'll frame it with like how I would do it on a discovery call. One of the things that I almost always do to end every demo is I go, hey, Armand, so I just showed you, da, 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 da. do you have any questions? What are your thoughts? And what they always miss is the what are your questions part, and they go into straight into what are your thoughts? But mentally, they felt like they had the opportunity to ask questions because I asked them if they had any questions. I do that in discoveries a lot as well. So like, hey, this is what we just talked about. Do you have any more questions? What are your thoughts? And they will spend a lot of time talking about whether they think it's got to be a good fit or whether it's not going to be a good fit, but they're not peppering you with questions. The other way, though, if you get that guy that's banking you all the time and taking you off course, table it. So a lot of reps feel like they have to answer that question immediately. And that goes back to what I was just saying, like, sometimes it's totally fine to say no. And usually what I'll do, like, if someone's hitting me with a lot of questions, it's like, hey, Armand, like, it sounds like you have a ton of questions. I just want to make sure like we hit these couple points. Why don't we go ahead and bank those? And I'll circle back to you at the end to make sure we get those questions answered. 10 minutes later, I circle back. Hey, Armand, I know you had a couple of questions from earlier. Want to make sure we get those answered. What are your questions? You know what? Like out of context, they can't remember their questions because they're rapid firing them at you and they're not important. So it's a really good way to deflect and you actually bank them. Now you have to make sure this is a really important part. You have to actually make sure you go back and ask that guy if he has questions still or if not, then he's going to hate you and it, he'll be, he'll try to torpedo every call you're on. So it's really important if you bank it to make sure you circle back. I want to talk about this recapping thing. I read that, I don't know who said this, but most demos fail not because of starvation, but because of indigestion, meaning we throw so much at the prospect, they don't actually understand or have any clarity around what was shown. And when you recap things, you're actually helping them digest what is being shown. You're doing it for them. But I don't necessarily always know how to do that because my thing's got a lot of features. Am I literally showing you like, hey, and this is a really good way to uh, automatically find contact info. And what I just showed you is how you can automatically find contact info. Like, am I just saying the same words or is there more nuance to it? That's actually a really, really good question. It is a little bit of both. Think of it, a high school essay is actually the perfect analogy. Your introduction and your conclusion in your high school essay says exactly the same things, but it's not the same words. It's also the way I write. My wife's like, you write fluffy like a cloud. Like I, I use words and it sounds like I said something different, but I really didn't. And so what I like to do when I talk about like, tell them what you just told them is like, for example, you demo your feature, say it's a contact. This is how you find your contacts. So, hey, let's take a look at how you can use our system to find contacts today. You actually say like, you click here, you can pull it up, you can search for them, whatever it is. And then it's like, use case example. So other patent law firm, if they're trying to find subject matter experts for the patent research, they would use this to find the right contacts for them. So you tie it into your use case and that's how you're reiterating it. It's the same words. This is how we use the feature to find contacts, but you're giving it a little bit of context and then you're reinforcing it into their brain. And it's actually a really good follow-up bite. I'm like, hey, here is a case study, ideally, that I'm going to share with you about like how, how someone else has used that section before. 
let's bring this back to discovery. And one of the things that you mentioned is you're also doing recaps of what you told them after you've gone over a certain section of problems, or maybe you've told them what you do. And so I'm curious, let's say you start off that discovery call and you say like, hey, why are we talking in the first place? And they give you a hint of, hey, it's one of these three problems. Then what happens? My guess is you're not just saying, great, we solved that problem. How do you sort of peel back the layers of the onion from that point on? I'm going to like give like some really pointy examples. And so like I, previous life, I was in marketing technologies, um, collaboration solutions for marketing technologies. Usually the problem is going to be centered around a lot of people need to collaborate with each other, complicated workflow, like those are going to be the typical two. And usually I'm asking an open-ended question about like how their workflow works today. Then what I usually do, this is, I'll caveat this with, this is probably against every sales book out there, but I found that it's been really successful in my career. I will pitch on the discovery call. So if Armand explains to me, this is how my workflow works. So I set up a project room, we all get together, da, 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 da. Then what I'll say is like, oh, awesome. We see that a lot with, we see that a lot with our platform. What teams will do with our system is they'll use it to do this, this, and this. And then a lot of times I'll actually ask the question like, is that something that you currently do today, right? But what I actually do is I pitch on the discovery because I'm setting up my demo already. I'm identifying that use case after you describe how you're doing something. I give you an example of how you can do it in our tool. If I have like a use case in my head already, I'll actually pitch that use case like, hey, this customer does it this way for us already. And then I'm sure I'm writing that down to make sure I hit that on the demo. And if I'm taking good notes, I'll actually be like, hey, remember how I told you how this customer does it? This is how it actually looks like when I do it. So it goes from like use case, vet it out, lock that in. And then that's what I'm showing on the demo. The biggest gripe that I have out of every single AE that has ever failed the pave interview process is they get to the end of it. And I'm like, dude, I have no clue what you do. I have, I have, I don't have the foggiest idea of even how you might solve my problems. All you've done is you've tried to make me wallow in them and make me get a little bit defensive. But what you're doing is you're giving me just enough by saying, oh, we see that a lot. This is how other customers solve that problem. So I get a hint and a taste of how you can solve my problem. But you're not literally saying you are going to click here, 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 and here inside of my software to solve that problem, right? Yes, so I actually think like there's three types of prospects that you end up with. You have prospects that like know who you are and know exactly what their problem is. Deep discovery, identifying pain is perfect for that. And that's usually like inbound, right? Like those are like inbound leads. That type of discovery works perfectly for inbound. Then you have like a, they don't know who you are, but they know what their pain is. And that type of discovery works pretty well for that as well. Like you uncover their pain and you can translate a solution for that pain. Where it doesn't work really well in is outbound. They don't know who you are. They don't really have a problem identified. And you're sitting there trying to uncover pain. It's like, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you can help me. I don't even know if I have a problem. So I feel like that type of discovery works really well for inbound. Some like P2, but like once you go outbound or once you go longer tail, then though that type of discovery struggles because you got to give them that taste. But the really important part is that taste has to connect to your demo. If I say like, hey, I can help you with this. This is how other people have used it. And then I take you through that exact same demo I show everyone else. Then that's where it falls apart. 
I kind of want to talk about something connected to that, which is where you talked about like the outbound prospect where they don't really know who you are, what you do. And like, they don't even really know why you can help. And I think back to like one of my early sales calls where I had cold called the managing partner of this big law firm. And he said, yep, I'll take a meeting with you. And I like explained in two seconds and he was like, fine, I'll meet with you. So we met a week later and I said, well, okay, well, I'm sure you have a lot of salespeople that reach out to you. Like what made you want to talk with me? And he said, just call me on a good day. And I said, okay. Uh, and he said, all right, tell me what you do. I told him what we did. And he said, yeah, we don't really need any help with that. And it was a three minute discovery call. What did I do wrong? What should I have done differently? Because to this day, I'm still, I wake up in the middle of the night sort of cringing at that experience. You know, it's funny. I had a similar situation, but I'll explain what I did differently. So been in marketing technology for a little while, emailed the CMO, a very recognizable healthcare insurance company. And we have the call and I hit her with the, hey, I have a couple of things I want to cover today. Like, is there anything else you want to cover? Like what made you want to take the call? And her response was, well, um, the only reason I'm taking the call is because you wouldn't leave me alone. Like you got my attention. So, so tell me what you do. And this is where an elevator pitch is going to get you murdered. Instead of me asking a question, them outlining pain. Because if I, if I went like, hey, hey, Ms. CMO, how are you currently managing your marketing projects today? Click, right? Like she probably doesn't even know. Like I'm skipping ahead. I have my thesis. Normally you would ask the question, reinforce your thesis, then drill in. I can't ask the question here. So I'm, gonna, I'm just hoping my thesis was correct. In this case, it was. Like I guessed, I was like, hey, this is how other healthcare problem companies have the problem that they have. I pitched that to her and she's like, yeah, like I feel like my team has that problem. And she said, what is correct? She's like, but I don't know. Like, that's not what I do. What? And I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. What I think would be a really good idea is if we can set up a call with the broader team to make sure we really understand their needs. I'm going to lock my demo right there. I want the CMO to be in the demo. I want the CMO to influence the room. I want the CMO to be like, hey, we'll mention that their tool does this. I think we might have this problem. Because what's going to happen, what you almost always see a lot of times is, whoever is the biggest title in the room, everyone looks to them and sees what their opinion is. And then one starts agreeing, right? She kind of confirmed my thesis, but she doesn't really know. Honestly, at that point, it doesn't really matter because once they're in that room, they will probably all gravitate towards that thesis because she said that's the thesis. Dude, that's so smart. Because the inverse of that is she intros you to the director's And the director's like, we don't have any issues because they want to sort of save face. And then even though you've done a bunch of discovery, it's sort of hard to peel stuff out from them. And then power's no longer connected. They're not hearing that pain anyway, because what you're going to do is some like demo discovery, I'm imagining. When you're showing a demo, you're not just showing up and talking, again, one-sided for 45 minutes. You're like asking questions like, I'm curious, how does this compare to you guys are doing things today, right? So you have to be a product expert. You have to be really comfortable with your product. If you're not a product expert, this isn't going to work, by the way. Like I box, I call it like ripping and rolling. You're throwing punches and you're defending all at the same time. But yeah, you're doing like demo discovery. I, I love that term. But if you give them the opportunity to hand you off, what you're going to do is that power guarantees you one meeting. Why waste that one meeting on a discovery call? Because what's going to happen, right? It happens to everyone. Their boss forwards them an email and they're like, hey, this seems interesting. Can you check it out? You take that one meeting and then you can report back to your boss like, oh, I looked at it. It's not really a good fit. So you get that one meeting. That one meeting should be your most valuable meeting, which should be the demo. And yeah, you can't do discovery beforehand. 
So you're doing your discovery and demoing at the same time. But ultimately, remember, you're reinforcing the thesis, the seed that you planted earlier with that initial conversation. Will, phenomenal episode. This is making me so happy. I have a big smile on my face. But we have to move to the final question. And I won't frown during this final question. I'll continue to smile. Final question is this. We've talked about a ton of really good things salespeople should be doing. Now let's talk about things they shouldn't be doing. So the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it's hurting them more than it helps? We spent a lot of time talking about discovery. We spent a lot of time talking about demo. Let's talk about closing because I think most salespeople are some of the forecasters I've ever seen. And as a sales manager, you usually get pretty good at forecasting. What salespeople never think about is how do I backfill my pipe? So they're like, I'm going to get this deal, this deal, this deal, this deal. And that's it. It's like, cool. What if this deal dropped out? And salespeople never think about that. What salespeople need to stop doing is they need to stop hyper-focusing when they forecast on just the deals that they think are going to close because they start ignoring to their detriment everything else in their pipeline. And they're never thinking about backfilling. What if this drops out? How do I get that back in there? So what salespeople could do better is when you're actually forecasting, plan your backfills, right? So then I'm these are the five deals I'm going to get. If this one drops out, I'm going to work like hell to put this one back in. Oh, I love it. Will, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? I literally have nothing to plug, guys. This was a blast. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Folks, Will is not a guy who's going to plug or promote himself, but I am. He is phenomenal. Will, like I learned a ton from this conversation. I can always tell when we have a really good guest by the amount of notes that I take. And I've got two pages of notes today, which really is good. Connect with Will on LinkedIn, send him a note, let him know you heard him on 30 Minutes to President's Club and stick around folks for a recap coming up soon. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with William Louie include number one, tell him, tell him again, tell him a bunch of times. I don't remember how he said it, but after you demo a major demo segment, always repeat what you just showed before you move on. Number two, do not just pepper people with 3,000 different questions. Do some give and take along the way. Say, hey, 
one of our other customers was experiencing the same problem and they solved it like X. Number three, there are a couple different types of prospects out there. When you find the ones who are cold outbound and they have no idea what you do, you probably have to raise some problems and say, hey, typically when I'm talking to partners of law firms, I see problems like X, Y, and Z. And then lastly, number four, when you've got a short amount of time with someone in the C-suite who just happened to take a call with you, you really only got one more chance to take a call with them. And so get them to invite their entire team to a demo instead of trying to drain them into another discovery, keep that C-suite person involved, and then do some demo discovery along the way. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, the way that we got Will on the show was through a referral from a former guest. And I want to talk about referrals here, specifically you, my beloved listener, referring this show to another salesperson that you know who hasn't heard 30 Minutes to President's Club. Because one, it helps me and Armand out. Why not? And two, you might just help your friend out by sharing our goodness with them. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.